Um, a few days ago, I had uh, a bit of an anxiety moment. It wasn't a panic attack or anything like that, but um, it was one of those moments where just a bunch of things seemed to all weigh down on me at once. Uh, I had emailed somebody about a couple of really important decisions um, to make, and they hadn't responded in a couple of weeks, and I was wondering uh, what was going on. I was anxious about that. I had a bunch of tasks at work that I needed to get done, but I also had a whole bunch of meetings that day, and so I knew I'm probably not going to get everything done that I want to. Um, then somebody asked me to help them with something, and um, I wanted to, but I knew it was also going to require a lot of uh, my time, so I wasn't really sure how to respond. And so I was thinking about all of this um, that morning, and I decided to just distract myself by looking at the news, okay? And um, there, uh, the headlines, there was a bombing in Gaza at a hospital, and a lot of civilians had been killed. And so then I read another article, and it was about AI and how fast uh, things are moving and how this panel of experts had met recently and decided there was only a 10% chance that AI was going to lead to the extinction of humanity as we know it. And I remember just uh, closing my computer and just feeling tired and anxious and a bit overwhelmed. Do you ever have those moments, All right? Where there's just too many things to do, there's too many needs to meet, there's too many responsibilities to carry, there's too many decisions to make, and sometimes it's just overwhelming. It feels like too much. Uh, Did you know that Jesus had moments like that as well? There was this one time at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, um, things had actually been going uh, well. Jesus was getting popular. Lots of people were coming out to listen to him and hear him. And then he began healing people. Um, people with mental health issues. People with physical health issues. People who were literally sick, they would come to Jesus and he would touch them and they no longer had these illnesses. They were healed. And Mark tells us that in the first town that Jesus uh, did this, once people heard that Jesus could heal their diseases, uh, look at what happened. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. This was the house where Jesus was staying. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. Now, of course, um, this is a good thing, right? This is good work that Jesus begins to do. But think about the burden that he's going to begin to carry. This is going to happen in every town that he visits. All of the sick. All of the afflicted. Right Back then, they might have used this understanding of demon-possessed, but really, anyone who had any sort of physical or mental or emotional affliction, anyone who had any problem is now going to come to Jesus and put their hope in Him to solve and heal their problems. What a huge responsibility to carry, right? Think about that for a second. What if Jesus can't get to everyone? How does He decide? Who to heal and who to skip? What if he can't make it to every single town? How does he decide which towns he's going to skip? What if somebody comes to him and they're sick, but they don't really believe Jesus can heal them? 
Or maybe he knows they're not going to be grateful if he does. Or maybe he knows that they're just trying to test him to see if he's the real deal or not. Or maybe he knows that they're just a setup by the religious leaders who are now starting to feel threatened by Jesus' popularity. See, we can only imagine this responsibility that Jesus, this weight that Jesus begins to carry. So, do you know what Jesus does? Mark tells us that first night after healing all of those people, it says this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house. He went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So Jesus just snuck away to be alone, to be by himself, to spend time with his heavenly father. And when his disciples found him later, uh, look at what happened. It says this, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they explained, exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Right? In other words, Jesus, where have you been? There's more work to do. There are more people to be healed. We are not done yet. Why did you leave? Why did you sneak away? Don't you know everybody is looking for you? Yeah, Jesus knew that. But he also knew that he needed time alone more than the people needed him. Now, this wasn't just a one-time occurrence. This was actually a pattern and a habit in Jesus' life. One time Jesus was with his disciples and the crowds were getting bigger and bigger and uh, Jesus and his disciples, they were just getting busier and busier. And Mark tells us this. Then, because so many people were coming and going that Jesus and his disciples did not even have a chance to eat. Anybody ever skip a meal? Because there's too much going on, right? He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Jesus is saying, look, I know there's a lot to do and we will get to it, right? It's important, but we also need some rest. Let's go get some rest and some time alone. On another occasion, uh, Jesus had a really big decision to make. He was at a point in his ministry where he had a whole bunch of followers, but he knew it was time to ask for a commitment from some of them, right? It was time to choose who's going to be the core group, who are going to be the people that are going to help launch this movement. When I'm gone, who's going to carry this movement forward? So this is a really big decision Jesus has to make. So what does he do? Luke tells us, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and he spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him and he chose 12 of them. On another occasion, Jesus received some bad news. His friend, uh, John the baptizer, someone that he had, in a way, partnered in ministry with, had been killed by the ruler Herod. Matthew tells us John's disciples came and they took John's body, and they buried it, and then they went and told Jesus. And when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. See, this would have been really hard news 
that Jesus heard. He needed to mourn. He needed to grieve. He needed to process what had happened. He needed some time alone. Now, do you see a pattern here? Jesus makes it a habit of regularly getting away. Whether it's to process something difficult, whether it's to make a big decision, whether it's just to take a break from all of the busyness and all of the needs, which seems counterintuitive, right? When there are so many things on your plate, when there are so many things that you're carrying, it feels like you have to figure out how to work harder, how to work faster, how to work more efficiently, how to figure out a way to get it all done. But that's not what Jesus did. In fact, Luke gives us, I think, the best summary of this practice in Jesus' life. He says this, The news about Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Do you see the contrast between these two sentences, right? The more there was to do, the more important it was for Jesus to get away by himself and be with his heavenly Father. Now the best word to describe this practice is the word solitude. Now when I hear the word solitude, and maybe you're like me, maybe when you hear the word solitude, I think of going to the mountains or going to some desert wilderness to pray like Jesus did. Or I think of those um, ascetic monks in the 3rd or 4th century of the Christian contemplative tradition. And there's something uh, certainly to commend to that. But I want to give you a a more comprehensive definition of solitude this morning. It actually comes from a recent book uh, on leadership. The name of the book is Lead Yourself First, Inspiring Leadership Through Solitude. The authors of this book um, survey some of the greatest leaders in recent history, and they suggest that solitude was crucial to their formation as a human being and also crucial to their success as leaders. But here's the definition they give for solitude, and I think it's really helpful. They write this. Solitude is not merely physical separation from others or togetherness with nature, although for some people it might involve those things. It is simply a subjective state of mind in which the mind, isolated from input from other minds, works through a problem on its own. In other words, while the setting can be helpful, right? And for me, it it is. I genuinely experience more solitude when I'm actually away from other people. I find that nature helps me. There's this restorative aspect to nature or this creative aspect or even this uh, stripping away aspect of being out in nature. But what they suggest, and I think they're right, is that solitude is more about what's going on in your mind. And I would add what's going on in your heart, your soul, your interior self. And that the key to solitude is that you have separated or quieted the voices and the input of others. And when you do this, they say, you can work through anything that you need to work through, that you're facing. Perhaps it's a problem at work that does need solving. Perhaps it is busyness. Perhaps it is fatigue or 
exhaustion. Perhaps there's some emotions you have been feeling because of something that's happened and you haven't really processed them yet. And yet there's something that happens in the stillness, in the quiet, in the solitude of getting away that always gives us whatever we need to move forward. And sometimes it is an actual answer. Maybe it's clarity on a decision. Maybe it's healing that we didn't know we needed. Maybe it's rest. Maybe it is this sense that I'm not going to solve the massive global problems of the world, but I do have all the resources that I need to move forward today in my life. Because here's the deal, as a follower of Jesus, in solitude, I'm not actually alone. God is with me. I am spending time with him. I am allowing him to do his work, his transformative work inside of me. And then I can take whatever it is that I'm carrying and I can surrender it to him. And then I can be ready to listen to his voice in my life. But it requires, and that's where this definition is so helpful, it requires isolating myself separating myself from all of the other inputs and voices in my life. Now, let me make a couple of assertions. Uh, Assertion one, solitude is deeply satisfying. And I think the word deeply is key here. It is not satisfying on the surface, and it is not satisfying immediately. Like, Some of us have tried solitude. We've tried the whole, like, go be by myself somewhere, and five minutes in, we're bored. And we're thinking, like, this is not fun. I wish other people were here. I don't know what to do. This is not helping me at all. I actually need to get back and do all of the things that are on my plate that need to get done today, right? But if you talk to anybody who's made solitude a habit and a practice in their lives... And they will tell you that they are more content and less anxious because of it. In fact, there's all kinds of uh, uh, medical and health data now to back this up, right? Whether you're talking about um, a meditation practice or a mindfulness practice or contemplation. And all of those things are, are connected to or they're in the constellation of this idea of, of solitude. They have all been shown over and over and over, over the long haul, to reduce stress, to reduce anxiety, depression, high blood pressure, insomnia, fatigue. They increase energy, clarity, focus, confidence in decision-making, even joy and contentment. I would say that's deeply satisfying. I would say that's the kind of abundant and satisfying life that God made us to live. But here's the second assertion. The biggest threat to solitude today is our digital devices. Because of the constant noise and the constant connection. So let's think about the constant noise for a second. Think about the progression of constant noise in our lives. In the 80s and 90s, those glorious decades, we had these, right? The amazing Sony Walkman. Does anyone remember these? Where you could put a cassette tape in, right? And listen to five songs in a row. It was amazing. (laughs) 
on your own, by yourself, and nobody else could hear it, right? And then in 2001, we got the iPod, which was amazing because songs were now converted to digital files called MB3s, and uh, you could put a whole bunch of songs on your device, and you could even create a playlist yourself and listen to different songs in different order. Um, But here's the deal. Uh, We mainly used iPods for working out. Remember the armbands, right, with the iPods in there? Um, Or for, like, sitting down and intentionally listening to music. But then we all got smartphones, and we always have our phone with us now. They're always connected to the internet. We started streaming music on these new apps called Pandora, and then Apple Music and Spotify. And you have unlimited access to unlimited options all of the time. And we now have uh, these amazing new AirPods, right? that are wireless, and they're effortless, and they can be put in your ears, and they can just stay there all day long. And these incredible technological advances, right, they have changed the way that we now listen to music. And it's even led to an explosion of podcasts, right? Podcasts have actually been around for a long time. Um, I hosted a podcast uh, with a friend in 2005. Janice can tell you, I used to be down in the basement, and we would record this podcast. And we, our podcast made it on the top 100 of Apple charts. Now, do you know why? Because nobody listened to podcasts back then, okay? We had like 40 listeners. Um, nobody listened to podcasts back then because it was hard. You had to download the podcast onto your computer, And then you had to connect your iPod to your computer using a wire. And then you had to wait five minutes for it all to sync up. And now you just pull out your phone, you scroll, and you hit play. And in one second, you're listening. Now, it's not that music is bad. I love music. It's not that podcasts are bad. They're great for learning new things. In fact, some people are listening to this message right now on a podcast It's that for many of us, streaming music and podcasts have become a constant soundtrack to our lives. We are never alone with our thoughts without the input of others anymore. So we have constant noise and we have constant connection. It's not just uh, the time that we spend on our Devices, it's this need to always have them close by, to always have them in our pockets, to always uh, be connected, to always be available, to always be checking. Uh, For many of us, the first thing we do in the morning is check our devices. And the last thing we do every day is check our devices. On average, we check our devices 150 times a day. When we're driving, when we get to a stoplight, how many of us check our phones? When we're waiting on someone or we're waiting in line for anything, when we have any free minute during the day, how many of us just instantly, it's second nature now to check our phones? How many of us spend any amount of time during the day where our phone is not physically within reach or within sight? 
Our family went out to eat uh, a couple of days ago, and we were in the car, and right as we were getting out to go into the restaurant, I said, hey, why don't we all just leave our phones in the car? And there was this hesitation on all of our parts, right? Mine included, because it just feels weird to not have this with you, to be like, okay, I guess I'll leave it there. What if the world falls apart in the next 45 minutes and we don't know about it, right? I mean, it's just like, it feels so hard to just be disconnected. But when we always have the background noise, when we're always connected, it means we never genuinely experience the solitude that we all need. So I have three practices I want to encourage you to take up today. And by the way, these do not require a lot of time. They just require a little bit of intentionality. Everyone I know who lives out these practices is healthier, happier, more genuinely connected to themselves, more genuinely connected to God, and paradoxically, more genuinely connected to other people around them. So here they are. Practice number one, uh, schedule a day or a weekend of solitude every season. So once every few months, fall, winter, spring, summer, schedule an entire day or weekend of solitude. And there's so many different ways you can do this, right? But the key is to, to do something or to go somewhere where you're alone, where you're without other people, and more importantly, where you're disconnected from digital devices. Uh, we'll even try to help you with this. Um, we're planning some one-day retreats next year where we've uh, reserved some spots at a beautiful retreat center about 45 minutes from Denver where you can go for 24 hours from Friday afternoon to Saturday afternoon to simply be alone and spend time with God. Now, we'll share more about that in the future, but this is not hard to do. You can do this yourself. It's not that difficult. It just takes intentionality and planning. Practice number two, schedule at least an hour of solitude every week. So just make it a habit. Every uh, Saturday morning for an hour, every Sunday afternoon for an hour, you figure out whatever time works best for you, where you just carve out an hour of solitude. Now, remember, solitude does not mean you have to go be a monk in the desert somewhere. Um, you don't have to sit like Buddha in the lotus position, like doing meditation or anything like that. It just means being alone with your thoughts and alone with God and disconnected from the input of others. So just leaving your phone behind. So, so go down to the botanic gardens right down the road and just leave your phone in your car and just walk around there for an hour. Find a bench and just sit. Go on a hike by yourself. Go on a walk at a park in your neighborhood, right? Or just sit on the back porch for an hour. It's okay to do something physical. You don't have to be completely still as long as the physical thing you're doing doesn't become the primary focus. But just don't take your phone with you, right? Don't listen to music. Don't listen to a podcast. Don't be checking every time. Like, I think it just buzzed. It just, I, it buzzed. I should probably check. Like, something happened, and I need to be available. Just to, right? That's not solitude. Just leave your phone and take an hour. So schedule at least an hour a week. And then practice number three, embrace device-free chunks of time every day. 
And here's the deal. This is probably the easiest one because you already have these chunks of time every single day. This will not add anything at all to your schedule. It's just removing the distractions and input so that you have a few times every day where you can just be alone with your thoughts and alone with God. So just to get really super practical about this, here's what this could look like. It could be not looking at any device for the first 30 minutes of the day. That is great solitude time. Get up, get a cup of coffee, take a shower, say a prayer, sit on the couch, read a psalm, and just get ready for the day. And then once you've done all of that, once you've spent some time just alone preparing for the day, then go check your phone. Or how about not looking at any device for the last 30 minutes of the day? Another great opportunity to just rest your mind, to reflect on your day, to be thankful for maybe the one or two great things that happened during the day that you didn't pause to reflect on in the moment. To end the day well, to prepare your body for the deep and meaningful rest that it needs every single night. Or here's another one, when you're waiting, right? We all have those moments every day where we have to wait for something for 5 or 10 or 15 minutes where we're waiting for someone or we're waiting in line. So just make a decision that while you're waiting, you're not going to pull your phone out. And check it. And rather than being frustrated at this person who's late for the meeting again, I'm waiting 10 minutes for them again, maybe it's a gift. Maybe God is giving you this little five or 10 minute chunk of time to just settle in and rest and check in with Him. Or how about when you're driving? Many of us have 10, 15, 20 minute chunks of time every single day when we're in our car. What if instead of listening to music or listening to a podcast or chatting with somebody on the phone, all those things are fine things. But what if we just said, while I'm in the car every day, I'm just going to use that as great solitude time. Or here's one more. How about when you're eating? Many of us have one, maybe two or three times a day where we're eating a meal by ourselves. And almost all of us, if we're eating by ourselves, our default is to pull out our phone and to check it and to scroll while we're eating. So what if we didn't do that? What if every meal or every snack that you ate by yourself at work or at home or you swing into Chick-fil-A real quick, what if you just turned off the music and turned off the podcast and put your phone in your pocket or better yet, put it in an entirely different room where you can't even see it and you say, hey, I've got 10 or 15 minutes How about I just enjoy this food? Let my mind rest. Spend a few moments with my own thoughts and with God instead. See, all of these moments, these chunks of time, they're already in our lives. Removing the input, especially of our digital devices, will be very little cost to us. In fact, I would suggest probably 95% of What we do in these moments is mindless scrolling anyway. So why not just take a break from it? The cost is virtually nothing. The benefit could be everything. See, if Jesus, the Son of God, who came to save the world, 
who legitimately had every right to always be busy, to always be helping and serving people, to always be connected to everything that's happening around him. If he needed solitude, then so do we. And he extends the same invitation to us that he extended to his disciples. Do you remember what he said? Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that you would um, give us uh, the courage and desire to seek out those moments every day, those times every week, and maybe even those days every season to just spend alone with you, to find the rest that you want to offer, the healing and the wholeness that you want to give, the grace you want us to experience, the closeness you want us to know. Give us that desire for that, that deep satisfaction that you want us to experience. We pray this in your name. Amen.